Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, where we talk to great leaders who are influencing the next generation. Hey friends, welcome back to the Collective Scope Podcast. We are back at the table, Rob, despite social distancing. Indeed we are. We are a safe distance for all those listening. We are not, not too close. We are keeping our distance and we are keeping our distance through Zoom with our guest, uh, Josiah. The way I figure it, and I'm oh, sorry yeah. to interrupt. No, go ahead. Just since we're in the moment. In the moment. I figure if I would have caught something from you, I would have gotten it by now because... We, we've been doing we've this been. for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so every neither one of us are contagious i guess is the I good guess, news to know. all those listening I maybe maybe we're immune wow. to each other that was a great start to the podcast so let's welcome josiah to the show <laughs> josiah Keneally. i'm saying it wrong still Keneally. Keneally. josiah Keneally. josiah Keneally. uh him and his wife micah lead a chi alpha at normandale community college in minnesota they're pioneering young adult ministry in local churches through what's called Minnesota Young Adults. They've got a podcast. He's also a published author True. of a book we're going to talk about later in the show. So if you guys could just with us, welcome Josiah to the show. All right. You know one of the things that I appreciate about Josiah already? Already? Already. Yeah. He has a true, genuine Minnesota accent. Yeah. And it's legit. Okay, so the Minnesota accent is one of my favorites. So long story short, my wife and I got stranded in Minneapolis uh, probably like a month before this whole coronavirus thing hit. We got stranded in Minneapolis, and we were there for I don't know how many hours. But the people in Minnesota made it worth it. Just so, again, another shout-out to our folks in Minnesota. You're awesome. Well, guys, it's an honor to be on the show. Uh, I love the vision of the Collectives Co. podcast and just have a special place in my heart for Lee University and college students, young adults. And I know it's going to be a great time hanging and I, I will just echo your shout out. I can think of so many places that would be worse to be stranded than Minnesota. Minneapolis is actually the people paradise of planet Earth. I, I'm <laughs> on Zoom today. It's a Friday. We're social distancing. So I've got my twins hat. I'm representing MSP, Minneapolis, St. Paul, the, the, the people paradise of planet Earth. You will not find more welcoming, hospitable, kind, truly nice people than, than our state of Minnesota. I don't, I don't disagree with that. Uh, in fact, my wife and I were laughing the other day. Some security guard at the airport in Minneapolis was trying to console us in our misery. And just just hearing them talk alone was enough to just take our mind off of it. It was... It was awesome. I love Minnesota, man. I'm going to, to, I'm going to, to go up there. I'm going to, to, I'm going to spend can, some more time. Josiah and I can be friends for this year reason. He's a Twins fan, American League team. I'm okay. a Cubs fan. Okay. Unless it's the World Series, we have no no beef. I mean, no beef at all. So maybe okay. if the Twins and Cubs are the World Series, we have to put the friendship on hold. But but we can we can go with the Twins. So. And I'm a Vikes fan. Like, Are you a Vikings okay, fan? Okay, so I'm a Pittsburgh fan first, but I'm like a Minnesota Vikings fan We've been like friends second. 20 years, and I just found this out. I'm a Bears fan. How how have we not had conflict yet? Well, we, we I don't know. But, <laughs> but Walter Payton is my favorite player of all time. You're complicated. I'm a very complicated individual. It's a whole let's thing. Talk, let's talk something of, of relative importance. So okay. This is not a sports <laughs> podcast. So. Uh, it's the end of the season jo- on the show, and I'm just all over the place, so you just got to deal with it. Josiah, you and your wife, Micah, lead a Chi Alpha ministry at uh, Normandale Community College. Um, for those of you that don't know, explain to us what Chi Alpha is. I'd be glad to. So Chi Alpha 
is a movement on the college campus um, through the Assemblies of God denomination, if you will. And it exists on over 300 campuses. 18 of them are in Minnesota. And we are the first community college to be a part of Chi Alpha. But our campus is really unique. You have to understand, usually you hear community college and you might not think that there are 15,000 students at Normandale Community College and Chi Alpha exists nationally and even globally to help students have the opportunity to find Jesus and follow him for a lifetime. And so I went to Normandale Community College a little over a decade ago. And at the time, the school is about eight, 9,000 students. So it's almost doubled in size over the past decade. But there is no campus ministry. And this school is 52 years old. It's Minnesota's second largest campus only to the U of M. And what's amazing is there was nothing happening there of spiritual things. And over half of students in the nation out of all college students and university students are now going to a community or technical college. So we just feel called, like it might look like the Valley of Dry Bones. It might look like, hey, nobody plays athletics. Nobody has a dorm, so they all commute. But we just believe that the thing lacking at a community college is community. And so Chi Alpha is a Christian community. It's a student club. It's a student organization that's spirit-led. It's salvation-seeking. It's servant-minded. But at the same time, it's all about student leadership and student volunteering and students owning their faith. And so the past year and a half, now it'll almost be two years, we've seen amazing things. Students coming to know Jesus, students showing up at our first gathering, just blurting out no altar call. It was just, it was just a party. And they're like, I'm here because I want to follow Jesus awesome. and I want to give God a chance. And so man, Chi Alpha is just something that is near and dear to our hearts. We're just seeing God bless it. And it's amazing to be a part of. Yeah. Rob, I don't know if you know this, but I remember we talked about it when I was, when we were younger men, Chi Alpha has a, a really significant place in my heart. Um, and we were talking off air that Josiah was asking where we went to school. And, and most of the, the listeners know I, that we attended Lee. What many of them may not know is I spent two years at a state school, Illinois State University, uh, go Redbirds, um, and had a season of life, <laughs> had a season of life where I wasn't following Jesus. Um, I went home for Christmas break. My mama drugged me to church despite my, my not wanting to. And me and Jesus had a, an encounter that, that I, I lost and won all at the same time. But in the year and a half following, because it was my freshman year of college, and I transferred after my sophomore year, I got connected to Chi Alpha in a significant, a significant sort of season of life that helped me shape and identify the calling. A guy named Jason Dom Kaler was my Chi Alpha pastor. And I listen. I'm with you. Chi Alpha has a special place in my life. It made a huge impact. Um, so I am pro Chi Alpha and and enjoy that that organization. They do a great job on college campuses. Yeah, and obviously, well, and I think of this. Yeah, go ahead. I think of this, Jeff, real quick. Um, I, I just think of how the four years of college. Louis Giglio calls it the university moment. You know, four years of college has the opportunity to shape the next forty and beyond of a young person's life, and so. I, I love hearing that story. It's not an uncommon story. So, Rob, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I no, just, no, you're I, fine. I'm really you're excited, fine. Jeff, to hear that that's a part of your story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, no, I think it's obviously it's one of the reasons why we're on a college campus. I mean, um, I mean, I've said it before on the show many times, but both in, Jeff and I both were in full time pastoral ministry at one point. I was a senior pastor. 
Um, I was serving well and loving what I did as a pastor in California, but there was just something irresistible about this call and this opportunity to be on a college campus, to reach an entirely new generation, uh, especially right now. I mean, Barna talks about this a lot, Matlock and Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons talk a lot about the rise of the nuns, the faith of the exiles, the digital Babylon, all this stuff that these college age students are being uh, notified as or, or known as. And so as I kind of engaged the literature and I engaged sort of that conversation about college ministry, and then I thought about the potential, the possibilities of serving and leading on a college campus and the impact that that can only have, not for now, but literally for generations to come, I couldn't resist. And so when the call came for me to, to come back here, I mean, it was, it was, um, it was a significant moment for me. And I, I just love being on a college campus as I, as I'm sure uh, you do. So tell us a little bit how you actually got into young adult ministry. I know you're still fairly young yourself, but um, what was it that really attracted you to this, both Chi Alpha or just the young adult ministry in general? Totally. <clears throat> I had different plans. Um, I had my life planned out and mapped out. When I was 14 years old, I played baseball and I got a job at the local batting cage and they did birthday parties there. And by the time I was 18, I was the store manager. And so I graduated high school and like the next week, Justin Bieber came to our place <laughs> and so we hosted him. And that was the same day I got promoted to be one of the managers of the company called Grand Slam. So there were career opportunities of starting my own Grand Slam, taking over an existing one. Um, entrepreneurship kind of flowed in my, my passions, my blood, my vein, if you will. And so I did two years at Normandale Community College. My fast track was thinking of going to the U of M, do two years at Carlson School of Management, start a business somewhere, drop fat checks in the offering. And then I went on a missions trip and everything changed. I remember being 18 years old, thinking that I had my life trajectory mapped out and God asked me specifically to cancel some career plans. And he so clearly called me to ministry. And I had a youth pastor, I would argue the greatest youth pastor on planet earth, his name is Brent Silkey, we're, we're best friends to this day. Our friendship reminds me, Jeff and Rob, a lot of the two of you, your friendship. And Brent invested so deeply in me that while I was in high school, we were lifting weights five days a week. We were training for a marathon and just life on life discipleship. And so he would ask me to lead small groups with him while I was in high school. He would ask me to preach on a Wednesday night to hundreds of high school students. And um, I remember that that messed me up because I preached and he's like, what, what, did, what did God say to you? And I was like, Brent, this is crazy. I felt like I was exactly where I belong when I did that. Yeah. So I made this deal with God and I was like, okay, God, if I could have the same impact that Brent had on me and I could reinvest that even into one other person, my life would be a success. It'd be worth living. It'd be worth following the call into ministry. And then I, I get to North Central University, a lot like Lee, and I start studying pastoral ministry, start studying youth ministry, start reading the David Kinnaman books on Christian. You lost me, heard David Kinnaman speak. And I was so heartbroken, so deeply disturbed about hearing the stats that 60 
percent of young adults who are walking away from their faith. If they grew up in the church, they're walking away by the time they're 20. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, my high school class, we saw a mini revival happen where I didn't even invite anybody to church, but they started asking themselves to come to youth group, gave their life to Christ. And several of them are now literally Kyle, the pastors across the Midwest and just saw the exact opposite happen when you pray and when you fast. And our youth group got a new building and I'll never forget they laid cement and we could in chalk write the names before they laid carpet. And so they said, write down the names of your friends who want you want to see come into the kingdom of God in this auditorium, in this room. And our church didn't have a young adult ministry, but we had a strong youth group. And I wrote down the names of my high school classmates and coworkers and every single person who I put their name in chalk came to know Jesus during that time. So I saw that God was real that <clears throat> I'd, I'd, I'd bother my professors, by the way, I'd ask our campus pastor, I'd be like, what about young adults? What about after somebody graduates yeah. youth group or graduates high school, graduates church? And he's like, you got to do something about it. So that was when I uh, read the book of Ecclesiastes one afternoon. Notice I said afternoon and I, that book, it'll mess with you. And yeah just had a buddy in college. He's like, go read the book of Ecclesiastes. So I went to my parents' living room and had this absolute dorm dream moment with God where I said, God, my life might be insignificant or meaningless, but will you give me something to live for that's worth dying for? And that's where I have this vision of thousands of young adults on their knees, hands lifted in worship. And I can close my eyes and still see it, you guys. A generation black and white, uh, it's not color, it's just black and white, just lifting their hands in worship, bowing before the creator of heaven and earth. And so that got me moving really quickly into young adult ministry. We, I got three friends into a prayer room at church, just said, we need to pray about young adults at our church. And then next, after four weeks, we said, let's start a young adult life group with the blessing of our lead pastor. And it was amazing, like 16 people showed up. So many people would come that within six weeks, you couldn't open the door. It was all shoes. And our pastor, our lead pastor found out about it. And he's like, let's have a barbecue in my house. And so like 150 young adults just show up in our pastor's house. And that was when he's like, Josiah, I feel like the Lord's asking me to hire you and give you a chance to see what God can do. And so went on staff for six years at Cedar Valley church doing full-time young adult ministry. Um, From there got married met my wife. We did a year together on staff at the church and then launched Kyle Alpha at Normandale. And then that was the second year of our marriage, 2018, 2019. Now we're expecting our first kid um, days away. And so, wow. but man, that's our, our calling is to know Jesus, to be known by this great God and through the power and the passion of the Holy Spirit to make him known in our generation. That's amazing. I, I think there's a significant uh, thing that you you indicated there in your, in your story, which was phenomenal. Um, and one of the things that I absolutely recognize is the need to help students get on mission or take missions trips. Now you said that you took a missions trip and that thing that changed everything for you. So one of the things that we did here last year, um, you know, our office, my office runs our missions experiences, uh, for the campus. And so we moved from a missions support or student support model, meaning, what we did before was students would raise money to support a missions project. 
And we move to a student activation model where everything we do now is to get the student on the mission field. And for our listeners who are both young adult leaders um, and leaders in other capacities, as well as college students themselves, can you just underscore the value just for a second of helping college students get on mission somewhere? It can be local, it can be global around the world. So, I mean, just unpack that for a second, because I think there's something there that's significant that we often just gloss over as a as a fun week getaway somewhere in, in a foreign country. You know what I mean? Totally. <clears throat> you know, when, when I went on that mission trip to Belize, um, I just remember this, that I and the group of leaders who led, we, we gathered in prayer one night, night one, like we had just gotten to, from the airport to where we were staying. We we're like, guys, let's make the commitment that we're not going to go back the same. Like there's going to be no missions trip high and there's going to be no, you know, come back home low. It's, it's going to be a lifestyle of serving, a lifestyle of washing people's feet. And so I see Jesus promises that you will receive the Holy Spirit, um, you know, but you will receive power when you, when you receive the Holy Spirit and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, and this Acts 1-8 power package. And so I guess what we see the massive opportunity is with college students, you have more availability to, to like a college student could pack up today and go to another country, another state, another part of the, the world, and they don't have kids, they don't have a mortgage. So like now is the time. And I just look at it, what if you could do something local? like serve in your city, love your city, love your campus, maybe serve another campus. That's what we love to do is take a week trip where we bring students to another campus here in Minnesota. So Jerusalem is in your city. Judea is maybe all around, you know, maybe the state. So maybe serve your campus, serve a greater part of the state. And then what if you took a, to the LA Dream Center or to the Atlanta Dream Center or somewhere in Chicago, like in the US, a lot more students could pack in a car and not have to afford a flight. And it's a lot you know, more affordable for an on-ramp. And then I do look at the globe. God's heart from the very beginning has been global. And so a global missions trip totally impacted my life. And so what if every four years there was an opportunity for every student to go on a global missions trip? And so I just look at, man, when I went to Belize or when we brought students to China or India or Costa Rica, that's been a wake up call for myself to move beyond myself. And then there is an opportunity for a missions trip high for sure, but you can come back determined not to just have an experience, but to commit to a new lifestyle of moving right. beyond ourselves. Yeah. I think one of the things about mission trips is we often think we're going to serve somebody else and we do. But I think the the person doing the work typically has the greatest experience. I mean, I'm not I'm not downplaying what happens on mission trips. There's salvations that happen. There's healing that happen. There's great things that happen for the people you go and serve. But there's something about when you go and and see through the lens of somebody else. Sometimes a different cultural experience, even a different community experience. You talk about Josiah going to another campus. There's something eye opening that that you see outside but you start to see inside you start to see yourself a little bit in this self-reflection and 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 i know on some mission trips i've been on are some of the clearest moments i've heard god speak 
And I don't know why that is other than maybe it's just I'm more quiet in those moments or God's more, not God's more anything, God's always, but maybe I'm just more attentive in those moments to hear him. But I think what you're saying about mission trips are significant. So as you're leading these trips, how do you guard that mission trip high? Because it's it's very real. Like, like God was so good when we were in Belize, but we're going back to Minnesota and it's not the same. Yeah, I mean, part of it is a reality and part of it is a, it's like Mark Batterson talks about a change of pace mm-hmm. and a change of place will lead to a change of perspective. So it's like a global perspective can best be discovered when you are gone, like when you're in a different part of the globe. And then I think that creating a space to celebrate the testimonies, what we always try to do is um, send thank you cards that also invite every person who gave to a mission trip into an auditorium to hear, not us, but hear the students share testimonies. And now they get to share their testimony with a group of their peers, with a group of their parents, with a group of their partners who sent them. And I think that the other thing is just the idea that we can wash feet now, like when we're in Belize or when we're in another country or another state or another campus, we can cast a vision of coming back changed. We're going to never be the same. And so I think that it all boils down to I'm committed as a Christ follower to washing feet. I'm committed that I'm going to serve my campus. I'm going to serve my city. I'm going to serve the globe. And it's not just a 10 day deal. I'm going to find opportunities to wake up on mission every day. Yeah. But I think that's really one cool thing about the age group in which we're currently serving and working with is they are so cause oriented. It's not difficult to help them find or attach a value to something. Right. And I think, I think one of the, um, uh, Jeff and I are very careful to criticize leaders and, and pastors and churches and things like that. And that's never our intention, especially when that's who we are. But I think one of the great opportunities we miss as pastors and leaders with young adults is we overcomplicate the need to actually help attach calls and value. And so we think it has to be something, um, you know, really aesthetically like attractive in order for them to get engaged. I don't feel like that's the case at all. You can, you can feel free to kind of push back. I think that's an important aspect, but, but I think what they're really seeking after is, is value behind the action. And anytime that we can assign value behind the action, I think it, it eases that on-ramp for them, like you were talking about to actually step out and do mission. Um, So I, I don't know. I mean, you, you, you agree, disagree, push back. I mean, Totally. Because, I mean, we see um, great value in like experiences and even there's an organization here locally that we love. It's called Venture and they do tough things for people in tough places and they'll run across states and bike across countries for the vulnerable, for the oppressed and raise millions of dollars to rescue women out of sex trafficking, to feed the hungry, to, to clothe people who are in need and different things like that. And one of the things that anytime we do a run, what we learn from venture is like, if you're willing to do the run, but you're not willing to be an usher or a door holder or a greeter at your church, then, then you've mistaken like what community and needs within our community and beyond. the So nothing is greater, nothing is lesser in the kingdom of God. And so I think that, I think you're spot on when it comes to serving and causes that 
you know, we can't meet every need, but are we meeting a need? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When it just shift gears a little bit, I know we've been talking about missions, which which wasn't really expected, but it's a good conversation. Yeah. But you're you're doing some unique work, and college ministry has a unique element to it, um, because it's sort of this this bridge between youth group kids that were in youth group or or not, you know, that was, we can't make that assumption always, but and the greater church. Um, and Rob and I really, and we've said this every time, I think every episode, and I know y'all are tired of hearing it, but we, we got into this because we wanted to answer the question, why are young adults leaving the church? Are they coming back? So from a campus ministry perspective, you're sort of in the, in the, the nitty gritty there at your community college. How are you getting students connected to the local church? I think my wife, Micah, and I are really blessed that we pioneered something at Normandale and we didn't take over something existing. So we're able to pray and fast and hear from God and then set the culture of the new norm, however God chooses to lead him. So I think you're right when you say the culture has been um, very siloed with campus ministry, that the campus ministry becomes their church. Yeah. And then when they graduate, it's almost a worse attrition rate than yeah. high school off to college, loss of faith. College, I was a part of crew or I was a part of Chi Alpha or I was a part of a campus ministry. And now I'm my faith is gone because I, I can't find a church that's all people that look like me. That's all the same season of life or stage yeah. of life. So what my wife and I are very passionate about is that any student who comes to our campus ministry we really encourage them to find a local church. If they came with a friend, where does your friend go to? So there's dozens of local churches represented in our small campus ministry because we say that this is not your church. We are not your mentors. So you need someone in addition to us speaking in your life that has gray hair. And that's the beauty of the intergenerational church is the church needs the passion because the wave always starts in the student section. So you take out the student section, there is no wave. There is no passion. There's there's a lack of energy. But at the same time, if you fill only the student section, there's a loss of wisdom. There's a loss of knowledge. There's a loss of discernment. And we, we repeat the same mistakes of society and history and spirituality and faith because the reasoning and the logic of intergenerational relationship is gone. And so we need both. And the church is best in its fullness of glory of the mission of God when we are on the go. And so that's why the, the parachurch organizations are so vital and important. It's an extension of the local church. And for a campus ministry, it's vital and important for them to, to share the importance of the local church. Because the reality is if we serve students um, a short-term missions trip of 10 days, we're going to leave them starving for more we're going to leave them with a, a spiritual high and the same thing is if we give them four years of a campus ministry community experience but they've never fallen in love with jesus and they've never fallen in love with the bride of christ which is the local church we're actually doing a disservice because then when you graduate college you get a career you couple up you start finding a neighborhood and a calling and a passion and having children and and you've never been a part of the local church. So how can you serve your workplace? How can you serve our mission in the neighborhood? And when, when you've never been established and rooted in the local church. So 
I mean, I think that that's what we're really seeing and, and that's the, that's the tension to manage, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are so, you, go ahead. Are you seeing pushback from students going, no, Chi Alpha is my church? Um, in the broader scale of Chi Alpha nationally, sure. Absolutely. Right. Like there, there, there's that outlier, but I would say, um, we want to we want to flip that script. That's right. one of the things that Mike and I feel called to stand in the gap in. So I'll be honest. I'd say that's one of the greatest challenges in campus ministry and even in ours. I think that we're not seeing the pushback from students though, and so I think we were in the process of flipping the script. And you know, it, it may take years or decades, but we're committed to it. Yeah. So let's flip the question on the other side. Um, a lot of churches are either intimidated or just ill-equipped on how to either reach or even engraft young adults into their, into their serving mechanisms, into their culture. So um, what are your ideas on how we help churches actually reach and integrate young adults into the life of the church? I love that question. That's a passion point of mine for sure, because young adult ministry is not simply youth group 2.0. It's right. not, yeah. it's totally different. It's, <clears throat> and it's not church junior. It's no lesser. It's serving a unique category, a unique population in a unique setting. And so all that to say, I would say that what we really see the significance of integrating into the local church, like churches more, when I started as a young adult pastor in the state of Minnesota, I could find four other people who are doing young adult ministry. And then over the course of the past six, seven years, and then now two years into Minnesota Young Adults, we see over 45 people are a part of our network of Minnesota Young Adults as college pastors, young adult pastors within the Twin Cities or within, so more churches than ever before are choosing to say, we wanna start a young adult ministry or strengthen it. And we're seeing this work in multi-site models, mm -hmm. suburban churches, urban churches, and then rural, because what we see really works really well mm -hmm. to integrate young adults into the lifeblood of the church is not necessarily to start a separate gathering or a separate ministry, but to create a place where they can have a small group together and do life, do discipleship. And a small group works in a rural setting of a, of a small church of the average is 50 to 100 people. So you could have a small group of six young adults, 12 young adults in a, in a rural setting. You could have in a, in a setting of, you know, um, suburban church, you could have several life groups or small groups of young adult ministry. You could have some for college students, for young professionals, and then also for young couples without kids. And so I think that the biggest thing to say is that your voice matters and we welcome you, we want you, we've expected that you would come. And I remember just as an answer to prayer at the church I was on staff at for six years at, we saw by the time that like this was not the case, there was no young adult ministry, very few young adults attending in 2012. By 2018, 75% of all of their first time visitors were 18 to 30 year olds. Wow. They're young adults. Yeah. And I think you pray that in you fast that in, you believe that. And, and then we saw young adults serve in every single ministry of the church. So you went to Cedar Valley Church. Tiny Valley was the nursery birth to five-year-olds. 
it was the vast majority of people serving were young adults. You'd go to the worship team, all young adults. You'd go to the youth group filled with young adults serving. Kids church, a lot of the leaders were young adults serving. Running the coffee cart, young adults. And so young adults actually respond well when they can serve side by side with somebody who's 60, 70 years old because they have a profound respect for their grandparents. Right. And so even just creating a space where my wife had this idea where we started a mixer event and we had all of the senior adults ministry come to tables and we had all the young adults come to tables and we filled our church atrium up with tables for young adults, for senior adults, and they shared a meal and mentorship came out of that. Friendship came out of that. And I think that something is so much better than nothing. So for churches to start, a, a young adult ministry is so much better than not having one. And once right. something is going, it's easier to steer a ship that's moving than to, the, that initial inertia is so yeah. pivotal, so crucial, and so difficult. Yeah. Speak to, speak to the, the six years you were at Cedar Valley um, that you were just talking about. A lot of leaders are intimidated by the young adult ministry movement because they feel like they have to retool the whole church. Like we have to get lights, we have to change the music or whatever it is. Was there steps that the overall church had to make or was it just a, a culture of heart that had to be shifted? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. I'd say that, <clears throat> you know, I think that it started with a, bur- a burden and a burning passion from our lead pastor. If you remember, he invited any young adult over to his home yeah. for this barbecue. And I think that that was a key moment for him to see, wow, there are young adults in our church. I know of another church in Wisconsin. They did an altar call. If you're in the next generation, 30 and under, come forward. And and they had 600 people who were 18 to 30 respond to an altar call of just like an altar moment where they said, we want to pray for the next generation. If you're 18 to 30, come forward. The pastor had no idea that there was that many college students or young adults. So I think that once you get a haircut, you notice everybody with that haircut. Once you drive a different car, you see that car and that color car everywhere. And I think that once you start looking for young adults in your church, you're going to start seeing them and noticing them. And for us, we, we committed early on. We're not doing a separate church for young adults. We're a part of the lifeblood. So it wasn't like our whole church changed overnight. It was just like the young adults sit in section A and they all go out to eat at lunch afterwards. And so it was just this contagious community. And then stories, we celebrated stories and our pastor was just in love with stories and scriptures and stories. And so at the board meetings, he'd let somebody like me come in and share with the board of elders, the deacons, the trustees and share stories of what's happening. And I think once you saw the, the 60, 70, 80 year olds in tears, that they've been praying and fasting for young adults for 30 years. And then the young adults rose to the occasion and started showing up. And I think that the other thing that you need is somebody to champion the cause. There are churches where the pastor is going to open up their home and lead the small group for young adult ministry, but that's probably not the norm. So has God, like, because as a lead pastor, you can't lead worship and do the message. And you've got to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So is there a young adult or a few young adults that you could equip 
and empower and encourage to lead a ministry. And man, when you give students an opportunity to serve in ministry, they, they come alive. Yeah. And when you give a young adult an opportunity to own and serve and lead in the church, they come alive like never before. And I think of a young adult who moved from Atlanta to Minneapolis, got deeply plugged into our ministry. He actually, within two years, he was on the board selection team because our church was so committed to the next generation that we're going to have young adults serve in every department, serve on the board, serve on the board committee, you know, and serve in hospitality, serve in the welcome booth, serve in coffee, serve in. So I think it was, it might've started with a, a small fraction, but it's like the church was ready for it. When young adults who showed up, who were smoking in the parking lot or had ripped jeans and tattoos and wore hats in church, man, our senior adults just hugged them and just said, I'm so glad to see you. When they saw tattoos, they're like, Hey, tell me about that. Like, talk to me. And so I think it was, I, I wasn't sure if our church was ready for it and they were. That's good. Yeah. I just, I, I do some church consulting on the side. That's not my plug. I'm just saying the other day I was email uh, Rob. Yeah, email Rob. That, that wasn't the point. I was just the other day I was. We don't do commercial breaks, Rob. <laughs> hush it. Mr. Hush it Question. real good. Uh, the other day I was doing a church consult. Uh, they were talking about this whole digital sort of world that we live in right now because of obviously because of where we are currently with, with everything in the, I, I know we've talked about the virus a lot, but it's just the reality of where we are. But right. the point is so many churches who have never experienced or seen or been a part of a digital reality are now stepping into that either because they just see it's the opportunity they have to take or because it's either do that or die. Right. So that's where they are with, with the reality in terms of the digital platform. So the senior pastor called me and he was asking me how to approach this and with their planning and their committee. And uh, my simple statement to him was this, if you really want to know how to do digital realms well, you need to invite your youth group to be a part of the planning process. And he's like, he's, and he was like, I never thought of that. I'm like, this is how they live. They're digital natives. This is what they do every single day. And they can do in 15 minutes what would take you two weeks to learn, right? So I think I think what you're saying about inviting young adults into a into a board meeting to talk about the future, to talk about innovation, to talk about new ideas, uh, yeah, that can be intimidating. Yes, it can be kind of crazy sometimes because we don't understand what they're saying half the time. I don't, you know, uh, I, I'm a big fan of emojis and all that kind of stuff. I emoji, you know what I'm saying? I'm a good emoji. You know what I mean? Like I, I gif. You gif. I gif. I know, you, know you, gif. Yeah, I gif me, I know you gif. I gif a lot. You gif. I over gif probably. <laughs> Wish you would over gif a little more. Yeah. So I, you know, I get it. Like, and that can be intimidating, but that's where the life lives. That's, you know what I'm saying? It's where, it's where we, we collide those intergenerational conversations, wisdom combined with innovation. It's, it's learning to, to both maintain and hold true to the values and the wisdom and the vision and the mission and the burden of the local church at the same time while pushing it and progressing it forward. And I think that's what makes the church, and I despise the word relevant, so I'm not going to use it even though I just said it, but that's what makes the church accessible and effective yeah, in, in their communities, right? Uh, 
Matthew Barnett, you 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 mentioned your Dream Center LA. Uh, he he told me one time when when I was in LA, we did an event with them, and he and I were talking, and and I was talking about this word relevancy, and just like a great mentor, and I've used this, I don't know how many times since then, but the point is, if you're trying to be relevant, you're already one step behind. We don't invite young adults into the conversation to be relevant. We invite young adults into the conversation because they are a part of the church. They are part of the family of God. They bring a different asset and skill set and idea and vision and, and you know, uh, knowledge to the table. So, yes, even outside of the coronavirus, find a way to invite teenagers and young adults to your board meetings. That's my point. I went a little pre-trant there, but bless the Lord, it's Easter weekend. So bless we can... the Lord. I, I love it. Happy Good Friday, guys, at the time we record this. And, and Rob, if I can, I'll just I'll jump right in and, and echo what you just said. And here's one way that there's a lot of pastors listening right now. There's a lot of people who are trying to figure out what do we do with college students? How do we incorporate young adults in the lifeblood of the church? Here's one idea, simple idea. It is practical and accessible and relevant because of the coronavirus, but we stumbled on this. A good friend of mine works for the Minnesota Wild hockey team, and he is an expert at social media. And for me, even though I love social media, it was hard for me to preach at our young adult nights or lead them and facilitate all the volunteers that were coming for a few hundred young adults that were showing up, or even our conference. We just did the first ever Young Adults Today conference at the Mall of America, like 60 leaders from across the nation. People are responding to young adult ministry and wanting to start things, wanting to strengthen things, wanting to save sinners, wanting to, you know, really strengthen saints and wanting to send out servants. And my friend, he ran social media for us. And when he did that, there was an uptick in involvement on our social media. And people came who were like, I saw your Instagram and it was it spoke to me. And so I showed up because I wanted to see, or I saw it on Facebook. I saw it online. So I felt like I could come. And I think for the church leader or the pastor, if you're overwhelmed, and maybe you have a communications department that does this for you, but maybe not. And so what if a serving opportunity that you looked for somebody in your church, help with the live stream, help with the social media, help with things. It used to be a promotional strategy. Now it's actually maybe even Aussie day works for, um, Andy Stanley at North Point Community Church, he went on as far as on Twitter this week to say that social media used to be a promotional tool for the church. Now it's a pastoral tool for the church. Yeah. And so it's something to think about. Yeah, I think that's good. And, and so if we could maybe sum what, what we're all trying to say here is, I think there's a couple things. One, stay in your lane. Like if, if, you're, if you're a gifted communicator, be a gifted communicator. If you're not gifted with social media, find somebody who is. So, so, and it's it's what it, what some of the strengths finder stuff. And if you if you study some of that, it's playing to your strengths and find somebody else who has a strength that you don't have. So, pastors don't try to improve a weakness. Like take a social media course that's going to consume two or three or five or ten hours of your life instead of studying for your Sunday message. Pay ten dollars or a, a Starbucks coffee to a young adult and release them for an hour. And they'll do the work that you, would take you days, but not weeks or weeks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. So, In some and not just not just social media though. I think this is, I mean, we have young adults who we know who run their personal businesses of thousands of dollars. 
They're making hundreds of thousands of dollars of sales in their 20s off Insta brands and whatever else they're doing. These are people who are learning to manage money and manage business in their 20s who can be invited to your table at a business meeting. I mean, so don't don't negate that. The producer of the Collectives Code podcast is a 20-year-old student. Woohoo! Right? Give a shout out to Alexa. Alexa she does a great yep. job. She does a she great does a job. job. Especially right now more than ever. We is is the open door, the gate is wide open. Call, connect with, invite into every young mm-hmm. adult, every teenager in your church. Ask them how they can lead forward. We talk a lot on the show about reverse mentoring. This is the perfect time for leaders yeah. to sit down and listen. Yeah. Like, like this is not about your pride. This is not about your ego. It doesn't mean you're a bad leader. It doesn't mean that you can't lead well in this season, right? Or lead well going forward. But listen, just listen and learn from, from yeah. those who are, who are living this out of the essence of, in the nature of who they are, because this is what they've got, mm-hmm. right? This generation, this Gen Z generation that we're all dealing with will never know what it's like to not have internet. I remember the first time I got on the internet. Do you remember the noise? I was so confused. The dial-up noise? Like, oh, <laughs> like it rings in my ears still. At Piedmont Virginia Community College, a friend of mine took me to the computer lab. He's like, he's like, hey, let's check the scores. I'm like, the scores are what? He gets on the internet. I'm like, I was so confused. It took me, you know how long it took me to wrap my brain around it? Like, it was forever. This generation will never know what that's like. So I, that's that's all good stuff. Before before we get done with the show, we got to talk about the book. So yeah. uh, so you wrote a book called uh, Debtless: Helping College Take on Less Debt. So how can students reduce their debt load and still get an education? Obviously, a very important topic uh, for now, for today, and for this generation. So kind of tell us about the book. Where did that come from? And and um, and kind of what the response has been to it. Yeah, so I did grad school, finished in May of 2017 with my master's in strategic leadership. And we needed to do a capstone project and actually practice ministry and solve a problem. And in our young adult ministry, um, there was one one young couple that came to me and said, hey, can we teach financial peace for young adults? I'm like, do it. And there was 18 young adults who showed up that night. And for like, I think it's 11 weeks or whatever. Right. And he shared just anonymously. I didn't know the names, didn't know the amounts. But in that group of 18 people that came, there were couples, there were college students, there were, you know, young professionals. And there was, I think it was um, $600,000 of debt. And most of it was student loans. And so I showed up at our next young adult night, there was like 200 young adults there. And I just did the math quick. Like if everybody has, and I did the math and there was like, probably my estimation when I looked around the room, there was like $16 million in debt Mm -hmm. in our, in our young adult ministry. So I was just like beside myself and really feeling like, how do I pastor the needs of this community? And in our young adult ministry, probably like a lot of young adult ministries, student loans are killing dreams. It's destroying destinies and it's delaying the destinations from maybe ever becoming happen. But imagine you had a dream and putting it on the back burner for five, 10 or 15 years, like you're, you want to have kids and the wise thing to do, maybe pay off your student loans. You want to buy your first house. And you know what? You got to pay off your student loans first. You want to go to the foreign mission field and follow the call of God, but you cannot go because you have too much in student loans. This is the, the reality for our generation. 
Millennials, by the way, have more student loans than any other generation. And so what we see now in Gen Z is a totally different paradigm. They're hacking college. They're hacking through like, there's got to be a better way. We're going to prove our millennial brother and sisters, our parents, we're going to prove them wrong. And we're going to graduate debt free. And the problem, just to give you guys an example, $1.6 trillion of student loans in the American economy. There are millionaires, there are billionaires, there are no trillionaires. So I don't think we understand really how well value of Apple and the current value of Amazon, you get $1.6 trillion. You add up the entire GDP, gross domestic product of the entire country of Canada, which is in the top 10 largest GDPs in the world, $1.6 trillion. Or you take the amount of student loans that's in America right now, affecting 44 million students each year, $1.6 trillion. So we got to do something about this. And especially as Christian leaders, as pastors, and as college professors, we need to stand in the gap and help young people understand stewardship. And so in the book, Debtless, Helping Students Take on Less Debt, this was my capstone project. We surveyed um, 850 college students from 200 plus universities because research is important. It's one thing to have a hypothesis, but data-driven decisions are key. And so we have some some data that shows like what the average amount of debt is like 30, 30,000 um, for a current graduate who hasn't graduated, no diploma. So, but what caught me off guard is that 45% of college students had no idea how much they actually have in student loans right now. Wow. And the biggest reason actually is not because they didn't know how to find out. They didn't want to find out because of anxiety, depression, mental health. So there's a connection there. And this is one of the greatest issues of our generation. So for me, man, Debtless is about getting kind of five people on your team, right? And the first one is apply for FAFSA. If you're a current college student, somehow you come across this episode, you need to apply for FAFSA. Every family can apply for FAFSA and it's, it's, you shouldn't have to pay money to apply. It's a free application for federal student aid. And what that is, is free money in grants. And the beauty of grants, you don't have to pay grants back. So one of the things you want on your team, if you're gonna graduate with less debt or debt free, get grants. And the way to get grants, both federal and then state, some are, are, most of it's need-based actually. So this is especially important if you're stressed about paying for school grants um, through FAFSA. The second thing that you need on your team or person you need on your team is your school counselor or your, your uh, department of basically like, um, this is the admissions department, right? And apply for scholarships, apply for scholarships to your own university because look, Lee University has scholarships Every college student has access to internal scholarships, but where we overlook it many times is external scholarships. There's millions of dollars in unclaimed scholarships every year. So I remember I got a trip to the Holy Lands for grad school, three credit course, $6,000 plus trip to, to study abroad in the Holy Land, Israel and Jordan, completely paid for by a scholarship. You, <clears throat> you have not because you ask not, the scripture says. And I think that we have not scholarships because we don't apply for them. And then the third thing that you want on your team is your parents. 
And look, I'm not assuming anything. We're not an entitled generation, but you need to have an honest conversation for family. And parents, talk to your students. Students, talk to your parents because you'll know what college you can afford, which colleges are options and so forth by having a conversation with family, with grandparents. And then you wanna have, the fourth thing is work on your team. For me, this made the move the most. I worked 20 to 30 hours a week all through college. And there's a recent study that shows that students who work 20 or more hours a week while they're in college have better GPAs than students who don't. And my hypothesis, I think it's because they are on TikTok less and they're on Netflix less. And I'm not saying don't be on Netflix or Instagram or TikTok because I have all those things, but we need to manage time really well. And then I think the last thing that we need is um, we need Christ on the center of our team. What, what Jesus does is he transforms lives. He transforms even our finances and we're whole beings. And part of our being is our mental being. Part of our being is our physical being. Part of our being is a spiritual and emotional being. And then even finances are a part of our well-being. And so we need Christ, the cornerstone at the center of our how to pay for college. And so that's what the book's about. And um, we want to make it accessible to students and to parents. Yeah, very cool. Those are, those are great tips. I mean, uh, very foundational sort of to, I mean, <laughs> Rob, you've got a college student. I've got college students on the way. Um, so those are great, great tips to help us as parents, but as students as well to explore those things. Um, you navigated, so, so, and feel free to ask, answer however you wish. How did you navigate undergraduate and then your, your graduate with these principles? Yeah, I forgot. That's like the punchline of the whole book, right? Um, my dad was actually unemployed um, due to a layoff. Like the whole company outsourced their jobs. My dad had worked there like 23 years, my freshman year of high school. So I knew that I, I needed to figure out how, how can our family, or is, did my dream just die? Did my destiny get destroyed? Or did my dream just get delayed? And the answer to all of them was no. Um, I was actually able to go to college. I was able to go to uh, an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, and a master's degree, all debt free because I set out to, and, and I made the goal, and I, I worked, I applied for scholarships, I, I did live at home, especially during community college, like, man, that, that gave me the opportunity to live at home for free, pay for college for cheap, and also um, save for the next couple of years of college, so that's the nutshell, but man, it's totally possible to have a debt-free degree, or you know, there are degrees that are more expensive, like a doctor or a lawyer or different things that require a doctorate. Okay, well, then you just want to minimize your debt, right? Less debt is always better than more debt. And that's why we call it debtless. Yeah, very cool. That's great. Awesome. Man. Hey, I, this has been such a great uh, conversation. And I loved having you on the show. And um, we always ask our guests just one final question as we kind of wrap up our time together. And uh, that question is, what is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom. I, I love this podcast, you guys. I love hanging out with Rob, you and, and Jeff. And just thank you again for the opportunity. And I'll, I'll close by answering that question just by saying that my heart has always come alive on the college campus. It still does. That's why I you know, do what I do. And I feel so passionate about this next generation. And what I learned in college was 
how to serve. You know, like I went to class. I, I don't, I rarely, if ever skipped class. Uh, our college had a daily chapel. I looked at, man, if I had to miss chapel, I never called it. I skipped chapel, man. I, okay. I had to miss chapel today because of this commitment or that commitment, but I, I learned to serve in the local church. So you look at, for me, key anchors were chapel that built my life, man. Like then I look at the classroom that helped me learn and grow and, and learn theory. But, but for me, I think practice and, and I'm a practitioner, I'm a hands-on tactile learner. And I got in a local church and served the same local church all through college. And I was a youth leader. I was an intern for like two and a half years. Usually you intern for a semester or a year. I just kept interning until they hired me. <laughs> and, but here's the thing that I felt God speak to me. And this might be just for me. It might be for all listeners. But I think that stewardship is so important. Sacrifice is vital. And sowing and reaping, like what you reap is what you sow. And so I felt like God spoke to me when I was working at the business, like I did eight years at a local business, four in high school, four in college. And I felt like he said, treat these coworkers like they're your church. Treat these customers like they're your church, like they're your congregation. And so I learned to serve and lead, but also in the local church, I felt like God whispered this to me. I'll never give you, I'll never entrust you with a ministry of your own or a vision of your own until you learn how to sacrifice steward and serve somebody else's and so for me man getting on a mission trip getting a global perspective these things that we've kind of talked the whole conversation about like learning how to wash people's feet learning how to stack chairs and and i think what do most college students in ministry want well they want to preach man they want to lead worship and those opportunities will totally come if you sow and reap if you serve if you steward the opportunity well and so I would say I learned to serve. And if I had one thing to leave high school students listening, college students listening, listen, young pastors, serve anyone else's vision that God's asked you to serve as if it were your own. Because what if everyone who ever volunteered for your church someday or your college or your campus ministry, what if everyone served serving on your team was the attitude you carry? And I totally believe that if you want faithful volunteers and not flaky volunteers, it comes from stewarding, sowing and reaping and serving now and you'll be back and your future self will thank you. Yeah. Yeah. He, I appreciate Josiah repeating some things we say often around yeah. here, serve and stay planted. We're trying to convince college students <clears throat> to serve and stay planted. That's so right. I appreciate you repeating that and echoing that for us. Josiah, how can people stay connected to you? You know, I am the only person whose name is Josiah Keneally. So I'm active. I have a website, josiahkeneally.com. I have social media across all platforms is the little at symbol, Josiah Keneally. And so, man, I'd be honored to stay in touch, whether it's through email, josiahkeneally at gmail.com, whether it's through the website, whether it's through social media, I try to respond to every message. And just, I figure if somebody types a message to me, I owe it to them to, to type a message back. Awesome. Awesome, man. Hey, bro, it. we appreciate you being on the show. And as we always like to say here at the uh, Collectives Code co podcast, you got a seat at the table, man. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much.
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Buckets Co. Podcast. Would you do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, and share this on social media so this content can reach other great leaders? Yeah.